You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Uh, hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Precision Powerlifting Systems. So I'm joined by a guest today that literally, I had three conversations in a row, um, and all of them have been on the podcast. So Mike Galante, uh, Mike Zelinski, and Big Joe Cap, and all of them mentioned this person's name. And I, I, Al Fernaro, I've never heard of you before. So uh, maybe you could give a background of how you got into powerlifting. I got my start just lifting um, as a high school football player at Zavier and Brothers High School in, in Westwood, Massachusetts. Our, our line coach had played football at Boston University um, and, and lifted there. Um, he was then later on, he became the principal at the school. But for some of the people in the audience who uh, I'm a little bit older, I predate the uh, internet. Uh, and we had a universal gym in a room that was probably 12 by 15. And after school, we would go in, you would do a circuit and you would do it three times. And you would go out in the hallway and jump rope for three minutes while another group went in. And then you would flip flop. There were no bars, plates, dumbbells. I mean, this is way back when in 1976 and 77. Um, Fast forward when when those guys, Mike Galanti, uh, Mike Zawalinski, and, and then Joe Capolino, you know, um, Galanti and, and Zawa were uh, were students at Zavarian. And I had been coaching there and have been coaching there now uh, since 1980. I'll be going into my 41st year uh, coaching football. I've been the director of strength and conditioning now also for about 38 of those years. I'm not hung up on titles, especially the ones where I'm not getting any uh, more money for it. I'm just responsible for more. <laughs> um, excuse me, but um you know it, it, with, with with those guys they, their first exposure also came uh through what we did at the school um you know with with zawa uh, it's funny because uh, you know mike is mike's a big guy he's he's lost a lot of weight he looks great but you know he could he could move things and he could move heavy weights and um we used to i don't know if you ever met michael but we used to always say use that pillow which was his belly and rebound off of that when you're squatting. It's not against the rules, you know? Um, but I've had a number of, of lifters come through there and young men who have done very well locally and some nationally. Um, a good friend, Joe Capolino is actually their roommates is a, a, a guy, Luis Heinies. Uh, Luis benched six Oh, was it six Oh four? It's actually the actual weight is uh, 601 pounds of the USAP on the collegiates, which at the time was the fourth highest bench of any weight class. And he was at that time, they hadn't switched the weight classes. I don't believe he was a two twenty guy. Uh, also a very good squatter and a deadlifter. Um, one of my gentlemen, I'm the head football coach there. Uh, the boy who coaches me now, Brett Anderson, um, Brett, lifted for me and he still holds the highest uh, squat record on record in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, when he was a senior in high school, he squatted 675 pounds. Um, his total that day would have won the collegiate nationals of the 275 pound class that year. Now that's a number of years ago and, and, and things have gone on and the sport has evolved and there are more people that are lifting. Uh, but I've been blessed because I've had young men come through who wanted to work hard. 
Uh, I used to say we've got the best weight room in the state, not because of what's in there, you know, dumbbells, barbells, whatever, but because the, the young men who come in train hard. And, and, and that's always a key. Always. What's really important too, is like at that age, it's like I played, uh, I played college soccer and then I did the MMA thing for about 10 years after college. And if I didn't have coaches that were on me when I was 13, 14 years old, cause it's one thing when you're like, when you're a big fish in a small pond and you're, you're having lots of success in that, in that very small neighborhood of teams that you play against and stuff. If I never had a coach that really started my work ethic then, I don't know if I ever would have been able to get a scholarship to go to school and do all of those things. So I think it's even more important that you're doing that. And for somebody who's what are you, 14, 15 years old, when you go into high school, as compared yeah. to like, for me, like I get these 25 year olds that a lot of them never had that same push when they were younger or being around people who had the discipline, the dedication, the consistency to actually like produce results. And I think that's, that goes, that trait goes far outside of a weight room in terms of like building young men and young women to be productive members of society. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we talk I about think, things in athletics like that. Oh yeah. I think it gets missed quite a lot. And I, you know, I know Mike, both Mike's and Joe, and uh, you know, I think those moments are really important that, and they helped build them up and to be great adults. Um, I'm curious where you got your start in powerlifting. Like what, what year? Cause like, I mean, outside of like old magazines, like powerlifting really wasn't like a huge thing. No. And it's, it's funny you say magazines and I was trying to remember earlier. Um, I'm not sure if it was in Norwood or in Dedham. There was a, uh, I guess they called them smoke shops, but it was, you know, variety store type of thing. And there was a magazine rack and I go over and I see, what, what is this PL USA? What is this? And I look on the cover. I said, wow, took it home. And I probably read it in five minutes. Uh, there was the old powerlifting USA magazine. And in the back, it had all results from contests. It had a couple of workouts. Uh, one of the first workouts I ever did was uh, the guy, Mike McDonald. Um, and if the, everybody calls it a Cambridge bar, but at one time it was called the Mike McDonald bar. I'm not sure if he made it, invented it, or just because he used it so much. Isn't that bar a little thicker? than a camera bar too? It, it may be. Um, I just remember that it was funny to do the workout because it was something that I could look at and it was, you know, percentage based and we can get into that in a little bit too. It, 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 and it was, and that was probably the first thing that I did as far as, you know, hey, geez, this looks like pretty cool. I can do this. Hey, whatever it was, eight sets of three, it's 70%. The next week it changed and so forth. And I had some assistant exercises. And then as I started, uh, you know, reading that magazine and, you know, uh, it's funny. I had gotten a weight set when I was younger, and I never laid claim to this because it's silly. And why well, didn't have a bench? So I put the bar on top of two phone books on top of two chairs in my dining room. I was doing a floor press. I just didn't know it was a floor press because I didn't have a bench. And I didn't even know at that time, you know, of this place, West Side Barbell. Um, and my first actually exposure. Um, to any type of West, uh, West Side was from a company called Bigger, Faster, Stronger, and a guy who was actually based out of um, Culver City, California. And, and Louis has spoken about the guys out there 
um, in, in a lot of his literature. And, and if you listen to some of his podcasts, um, Bill Peanuts West was out there. But so as I started looking at this, geez, what, what can I do to compete? You know, I, I, I think I might like to do this. I was, I was not, you know, I had played college football for a year. I left, um, was, was coaching. So I needed, I want to do something else. I played semi-pro football for three years, but you know, I, I wanted to do something else. And, and I was just about at that time taking over the weight room at the high school. Um, so I, I looked into that. And, and my first contests were actually just bench press meets. Uh, what year was this? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I, I got to lace that one. It's probably, th what's 30 years ago from now? About 30 years back. Um, 98? Did, uh, yeah, 90th. You know, I did my first contest uh, up, in, uh, up in Vermont. And then I did my second one was um, up in, uh, up by Methuen. There's a hot knocks gym. In, in in Massachusetts, it was another bench press meet, and uh, you know, so I, I was I was kind of hooked because it was fun for me. Um, bench pressing was easy as far as you know, lay down and push things away. Um, I started getting into more of it, and, and I'll be honest, I was never a really um, you know good full meat lifter. Um, you know, for whatever reason, um, I was training mostly at that time, whether it be in my basement or at the high school. Um, I had joined a couple of gyms uh, at, at various reasons for from, you know, where I was working at the time or taking a summer class or whatnot. And I did a couple of policy meets. Um, I, did a, I did a meet up at the Concord State Prison. And I'll tell you something, when that steel door locks behind you and you realize they've taken your ID, your mind goes somewhere else because you're like nobody knows who I'm here. I they they could just leave me here, but all of the uh, people who were incarcerated uh, were good guys. I mean, as far as you know, that day because they're on good behavior, but that that was that was a, a, a weird experience because you're up there by yourself. You don't have any you know crew like you have these days. Uh, you know, especially if you go to a meet where you're lifting equipped and you need. You know, a couple of guys to help you with your, your knee wraps or putting your squat suit on or your bench shirt, although that's changed even. Um, so I, I did mostly, uh, you know, bench press meets. I, I did a few powerlifting meets, probably no more than than 10 uh, over all those years. And it, it came to the point where I, I enjoyed benching. I would still train the other lifts. Um, like when, when Mikey Galanti was training with me, we, we were a West side based gosh dang it. We did it the same days. We did Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and, and we did the whole conjugate method and, and, and we evolved with them. But as we found out, it was months after they had already moved on because we were just getting it from Paul from USA. So, you know, if we're doing pulls off of boxes, then it comes, oh, they're trying this. And, and back then, everything was a three-week wave for them. It was learn the exercise week one, set a record week two, break a record week three. And later on, that changed to where they were doing a different max effort exercise every week, um, which is okay. I mean, as far as, you know, I remember Dave Tate published a thing and he, it was like over a hundred different things for bench press, you know, bench press with the chain and you go regular grip, close grip, medium grip. So there's three and then just one board, two board, three board. So exponentially it was, it could go through the roof. Um, and then we just enjoyed it. And, and uh, so they used to do at West side. So I've never heard this before. Cause this is actually very similar to how we do it. So their three week waves of max effort stuff, they would do, Week one, you just kind of, you know, what, like an RP8, RP9 type of thing? Well, yeah, they, they were never really high on that. On their, Later on, they would talk about, they would do for their um, 
they didn't call them conditioning days, but their, their volume days, they would do that, especially they've done time dumbbell volumes. So you would still work to, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be a one rep max. Uh, it'd be around three or three to five. And that'd give you an idea. So the next week, okay, I did this for three. So that will be my last warm up set for a single Add 10 pounds or five, add five or 10 pounds, you know, and, 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 try and go from there. The, the, the problem was, and as Louis talks about later on, don't train maximally, train optimally. Now, of course, we're cement heads. We're in there trying to strain our friggin' balls off every time, which wasn't, we didn't know. You know, who, I mean, who understands? And, and, and zero science. I mean, talk about whether or not we're destroying the central nervous system, which again, I mean, who, who really does that? I mean, you, you have to work really, really hard to do that. But right. so we would be straining. I'll say, okay, that's, that's the weight. And then the next week we try and beat that. And the key that later on we picked up was that on that week three, and this is also a takeoff on the original West side barbell guys, their training program, and which later became, as I said, a company bigger, faster, stronger is you would come in, break a record, five pounds hit or miss and you were done and that's what allowed them to break records every time they came back to that exercise because you know yourself you have a a a good training cycle and it's different if you're doing a a, a whole linear progression or if you're using the same exercise but if you came in and you're doing a two board press and you bench 300 that was easy and you go 310 that was easy well no you're done and, and so you try, so it's, it keeps you fresh, it keeps you hungry rather than getting crushed six, seven, eight times, um, you know, because you try to go to 315. No, and you do it again and you do it again. Um, so it was, it was, it was interesting. And, and you try to glean, you know, different things. Um, I, I bought a book by, um, his last name was McLaughlin. I'm trying to recollect what his first name was. This is published way back, geez, in the 80s. Um, and it was a bench press book. And the guy had his PhD. And it was all about the technique, and he was more of a, uh, you know, he wasn't a flare with the elbows, but he was a off the chest and drive back over your eyes, which was totally opposite of what Louis always taught, which was just drive that by, you know, the shortest distance straight up. Um, so, again, trying to gain as much information uh, to, to try and get better uh, with, with, with the old West Side. And then we, we, we went to the, um, you know, change every week which, you know, made you tax your brain just a little bit, but it was always, you know, the max effort for us became a straight bar weight, whatever the exercise was, to a chain weight, to a band weight, to a non-weight, or excuse me, a non-contrast. And, and we would flip it to where it would be with bands or against bands. So that gave us you a, a fourth type of thing. And it really didn't matter whether you were doing a floor press, uh, a one board press. Um, we used to take the, we had a cambered bar that we, we were flipping around instead of using boards. Uh, Zauer and I, one time I bought a, um, uh, a cambered squat bar, the, the big ones for, uh, and we used that to bench and our arms could just fit inside by gra- Michael and I on a Sunday uh, would come in and, and it, there's the speed portion, you know, we would do that. And then it was always heavy triceps. So I said, well, let's just add mini bands. So we put a set of mini bands on, do a set of whatever. And invariably it becomes a contest and you're supposed to be doing triceps, but all of a sudden you've got two bands on each side. Then you go to three bands, then you go to four bands, then you get five mini bands, then you get six. It's like, what the, now it becomes max effort, but that competition is good because it drives you. 
you know, and um, I, I think that, uh, you know, as you said earlier, you can get young people to compete and it, it helps everybody, you know, yourself, if you, quite often you probably go into the gym and you're like, Ugh, I really don't want to be here. But, you know, like the training with Zawa, uh, I at times, and, you know, he didn't really know I was trying to be a prick, but I let him go and then I would bump it five pounds. But I knew what my ceiling was. And at that time, I was a little bit better than him. Um, then, of course, the, 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 the greatest thing for me uh, was to see him just skyrocket and then Luis skyrocket and even Joe Cap. I remember Joe Cap was just this little, you know, guy from Northeastern who had been cut from the track team who comes into my weight room and, uh, you know, had worked hard and Mike worked with him. And then all of a sudden, Joe's up there at the Worlds squatting over a 1,000 pounds. I'm like, wow, you know, that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That is, uh, that is really cool. Um, so for like our max effort stuff, like I've always kept the same weight in. I use the same like old school three week waves. Um, this is why I'm so like hung up. I, I never knew Westside did it like this. But so like everybody, I tell everybody leave five to 10 pounds on the bar. So like hard second, easy third. Yep, so, yep. You know, you, you have a little extra. But when you get the fucking psychopaths who literally are just going to go till their eyes bleed anyways. And uh, what we do the following week. So if they hit a true max. So I worked with Boris Shaco for three years. So I'll go back into like, we'll do 80% of what they hit in the same variation for like four doubles. Just something really easy. You groove a pattern, you get more technically efficient in it. And then we come back week three and try to beat week one's um, max effort it's kind of it's funny that like i've started in almost like i came from doing like more shako style like sub maximum high frequency stuff right. almost doing what louis was doing in the beginning with the uh with the three week waves i uh it's funny you mentioned the west side culver city group I, there's a book that i just read i think it was called the forgotten secrets of west side barbell culver city and there were some um I think the stories that, one, I just think it's like fucking cool that you get somebody like Pat Casey, they have no idea. They're figuring it out on the fly, right? And this guy's benching 600, squatting 800, putting up monster totals. Um, I want to, I'm curious when you were younger, so you're grabbing like Powerlifting USA, you're reading these books. I want to hear some of like the stories. So like Vincentello told me that they were using phone books to use as boards before boards were a thing. And like he would have his partners like push down on the bar to give them resistance because bands and chains weren't a thing yet like some of the crazy things you guys did once you like identified some weaknesses to try to uh get stronger well we, we were trying to figure out a way um to do belt squats and this is galanti and i and because we had uh we had a couple of in, in the older weight room that, that we had a couple of step tiered squat racks and this so we built a couple of boxes and we had used those for block squat and said, geez, well, how about if we stand on top of those? And I had a, the, 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 a, a, basically a loading pin with a carabiner at the top and we would take a weight belt. And he and I, at one time, we trained at a, at a place, a world gym over in Denham. And the problem there was I get sick and tired of twice a week bringing in you know, 80 to 100 pounds of chains in a backpack, uh -huh. uh, you know, in and out. It was, it was, people are looking at us. I used to bring the weight releasers in and people are like, what is this freak show? What are they doing? And then people want to come over and want to know what you're doing and so forth. So we get this stuff set up and, and we stand up on top of the boxes. Well, all of a sudden it wobbles and one of the boxes go and goes flying out from underneath you and you're going to, you're going to die. You're going to die. And it's like, sometimes you get into that, you know, that, that mentality, you know, 
that which does not kill us makes us stronger. So yeah, well, you know, not if you break your leg. <laughs> um, and, 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 and we would go in and to try if there was just the two of us, right? How are we going to get this set up? We're going to do board presses, all right? So we would attach a mini band on the bottom. You know, we'd, we'd uh, choke it on one side and bring it to the other and use like a, a Velcro or sometimes even duct tape there. And then so we would slide under the minivan, put the boards on our chest and pull the minivan up on top. And if you've ever done this, again, it's just not safe. It's wobbling around, but we was like, frig it, we're just going to do it anyhow. And a lot of that stuff came from, I would, there was a guy, Bob Youngs, who trained at Westside. He was from Connecticut originally. And you'd email him and he would say, well, try it, see if it works. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm asking you for a rights, dude. You know, what are you doing? It's like when we, when we found out when they started using the bands, it's all right. And I, and I had a Buffalo bar because at that point my shoulders were, were dust and I couldn't even really get under a straight bar. So we started off, we used the purple bands. And the difference was we would put a block at the bottom of our squat rack and I bought a, uh, a, a, a West Side squat rack, for lack of a better term. Dave Tate, I think, had just started his his company. So we added a wooden block underneath for the extra two inches for tension, and we notched it so things would sit in. We said, That's not bad. Well, and we ended up going in there one day and said, let's put the blues on. Okay, now we've been fortunate. Let's put the greens on. Let's put the purples on. And now we're trying, well, what is the way? Well, how are we going to figure it out? Well, here, let's get a scale. You stand up and stand on the scale. It was like the friggin' goofy Olympics. And I, I, I think at the top it was like, you know, 690 in band tension. It, it was some, some ridiculous thing. And every time you would take it out of the wreck, because we're trying to do the old no belt until you really need it. And, and I always found it funny that with Westside, they wore the belt almost immediately during their dynamic days, whether it's bench or squat, and then they tried not to when they were squatting or deadlifting up until a certain point, you know? And, and it's like, of course, so we would, you know, if they had said, you know, put on a space suit and jump off the side of the school, we probably would have done it because, you, you know, you see what their results are. So oh, this must work. Um, but I had a young man, uh, Ryan Moore, uh, who has unfortunately since passed, and Ryan wanted to do some band work. And, and I unfortunately had told him probably a month ago about this. He goes, I'd like to try, you know, the blue bands. I said, right, you're really not ready. He said, okay. So I'm in the way I'm doing thing. And I just hear this bang. Well, didn't you know the SOB had loaded up with blue and, and green bands and it rolled off his back. He bent the friggin' bar. You know, and now I now had a little cambit bar and it was, it was a, uh, what should we call it? Um, it was a Buddy Caps bar. The regular, regular Olympic power bar. I mean, so that was some force. And I mean, he was standing there with a sheepish grin on his face. And I, I didn't blast him because he was a really good kid. And I went over, I go, remember, you're not ready for this. And so he cleaned it up. Um, but when we do types of things like that, and, and, and we tried isometrics at one time, I just really didn't like the feel, you know, where we would, uh, you know, pull on the rack up to the pins and strain. Uh, I never really felt that that for us, or at least for me, um, and I will admit, for those guys, I may have actually slowed some of their development because I was running the show. I picked the exercise of the day um, and, and, and went with it. Um, now, when, when Mike came along, Zawalinski, as a coach, and with the Northeastern kids, Michael was really into the scientific part. And I used to say, Mike, see that room? That's my lab. That's my laboratory. I go, 
I experimented on myself. I tried five by five. I tried pyramid. I tried reverse pyramid because I didn't know better. Like I said, I predated the weight room. So, hey, oh, look at this. Hey, Bill Starr, you'll get stronger deadlifting without deadlifting. Well, as a society, we're all trying to get something for nothing, right? Well, that's what it wasn't. It wasn't, you just weren't doing from the floor. Um, I had done um, um, Vincent Ello's deadlift program, which I thought was great. It's, it's, it's 16 weeks. And I had... Um, Luis try it and Luis wouldn't do the percentages. He goes, I, I can deadlift more than that. And I go, be careful. You're going to get crushed. And sure enough, week three, when the volume went up and he had miscalculated what he thought he could do and he couldn't finish the workout in week three. So now what do you do? You're trashed. You know, uh, but there's always that, that risk and reward. Um, we would, when, if we do a max effort, and there was only three of us. One guy would have to give lift off and he'd have to run around the other side <laughs> to make sure he could be in the spotter's position. <laughs> if you're Pedro Poor, so you dump it on your head, you know, we try to be as safe as we can, but you know, it, you just get into that mentality. You know, you know I think you're a, a caveman or a Viking like Arnold out in the woods. And you're going to eat raw meat and lift until you're strong. Were all these guys raw? At the time? At the time, yes. You know, um, my first two meets were raw. I didn't know anything about equipment. And then I saw this thing, somebody, and this was old Inzer, and it was just a bench shirt. And I bought that. And then there were, for him, the generation. Was it a, bla was it a blast shirt? It was a, it was a blast shirt, which is now, if you want to equate it, it's just wearing a, uh, a really, a, a, a little bit thicker, fairly tight t-shirts you know but you got results i mean shoot i i the first time i put a shirt on and i was dating a woman at the time she could put the shirt on me which can tell you what type how, how tight it wasn't and i benched like 30 pounds more um now these days as we know that's not anything compared to the carryover um it, it, depending upon how you train if you train correctly that, that you'll get but i went through the whole game with the black shirts um, and then, and the blast shirt was really stretchy too, wasn't it? Yeah, it had it had a lot more give to it. It was not restrictive. Yeah. And then you know, I've, for, I've felt one. I've never I've never put one on, but uh, I've seen one. Yeah, like like Mike Galanti is a one hundred percent raw guy. I wrapped his knees one time, and Mike, I hope you don't listen. He was like in pain, and I didn't even crank him, dude. I, I was like meeting, but he had never had them on. And he's a guy who was squatted, you know, raw, uh, you know, 660, 670. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and he's pulled in a ridiculous amount of weight. Um, and I used to tell Mike, I'm telling you, you will total a leaf if you just put gear on within a year. You know, and it's like, and then he's got a different, you know, his home life and his work life were different later on. And, and, and uh, when we weren't training at the school, he wasn't training at the school any longer. So it's hard for him to do that. And he's, he's maintained strength. And as, as, as I was doing and, and Mike, you know, as we all do, if, if you're in the game is you can't wait till you turn 40. Because now you're a master's and you're, you're a strong master's because you're at the beginning of the age group and, and that type of thing. Um, especially if you're like myself and I was a trophy whore and I was doing a contest every friggin' three months and learning as you do it. I would always suggest that if you can now, unfortunately, the cost of meets are ridiculous, but the more you can compete, there are two things. You're getting used to that competition, but then there's knowledge there. There are other lifters. Um, there was a guy whose name escaped me. I did a meet out in Western Mass, and he looked like a professional lifter. Everything he did, I watched him. His bag, his head, his shoes, and he was only benching. But and just the way he carried himself and the way he warmed up, and I mean, so I, and I talked to him afterwards, and you know, 
always a little bit different than than than, than any type of uh, bodybuilding situation. You know, powerlifters, especially if you're not in their weight class, they'll be free with advice. But you just have to be able to discern: is it good, you know, or, or is it, you know, not something that's for you? Uh, you know, with 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 high school kids, um, I'm not a percentage based guy. I'll throw a percentage on the workout sheet, and I'll tell them if you've been training for eight weeks with me, then we can try this. But most all of them are athletes, so I'll lose them for a season. To use the percentage base, and this is just my opinion. I've never done a study. I can, like I said, I only know from what I see. If I ask a young man to come in, he's just finished basketball season, and I ask him, okay, you're going to do uh, whatever. And you're going to do five sets of five at 80%, and I would never do that. Well, he doesn't know what 80% is. Is he going to go back to what he maxed in the summer before football season? He'll get killed. So for me, it's just a little bit different. And with, with high school kids, you can bang them because they recover. You know, you, you can, you can, you know, and I'm not, I'm not putting anybody in there and, and making them bleed. Although sometimes they think I am. Um, I just want them to you know, get stronger. And so for me, it was always a linear progression, but then I had evolved a little bit. And in the interim, you know, just, 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 there's got to be a little bit better way where we can get a little bit more bang for our buck because I had experienced, you know, doing that, you know, maybe do three weeks of eights, four weeks of fives, four weeks of triples, strength test. Well, I ended up doing the the conjugate method within that. Um, and then Mike had mentioned to you, if you know anybody else like this, they should probably have their head examined. You know anybody else would go out to Vegas and flip in July and sit in the basement of the Venetian Hotel for two days? Now, granted, it was Louis Simmons. It was the late Dr. Mel Siff. But also in that room was Joe Ken. Um, also in that room was Buddy Morris, who's the strength coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Bell, Mark Bell was there. Um, oh, who's the RPI guy? Uh, RPA, oh, what the heck's his name? He trained at Westside. Um, he does that reset reflex. It's terrible. Oh, and Dale Holdsworth? Yeah. He, he was there. Matter of fact, we, the two of us, there were two girls, me and Mike, and he was with three guys, and we're walking in the basement walking. He goes, hey, you guys look like us. Are you looking for this thing? Oh, yeah, we don't know where the hell we're going. Um, but to go to, 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 to listen to that, and I talked to Joe Ken and at the time. You know, that was the super training seminar, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was cool. I mean, and, and, and it was to, to just to, to be with Louie and to, you know, have him talk and, 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 and give more of a uh, – not an underside, but a, it opened the doors a little bit to more of what they did and how they did it and take questions, you know, so you could actually ask him a question where, you know, if, if you call him, he'll talk to you because he's got nothing else to do. If he's on the phone with you, he'll talk to you forever. And it's like, you don't want, you don't want to get off the phone because there's always a, a pearl of wisdom in there because they've tried just about everything, <clears throat> excuse me, with their training. Um, and so with the high school athletes, I've done that. Um, and, and the guys who are powerful, like the football guys who may not, or anybody who I have, any athlete, where the rep range will stay same, but I'll change the exercise. So we'll do three weeks of, say, I have a couple of um, parallel grip or, or neutral grip barbells. We might do three weeks of that. And then we'll switch to a straight board press because for them, they're just getting stronger. And they're not getting ready to do a contest. Could they be more contest strength? Perhaps, but they're athletes. Um, I don't know of very many power lifters who do heavy inclines anymore unless they feel they have some sort we of... Do, we do a lot. 
Do you? You're doing a lot yeah. of different things. Okay, there you go. I used to, I switched over from doing speed work on Sundays to doing, well, I don't want to call it heavy, but moderately heavy neutral grip dumbbell inclines till they were all done with speed bench. And all I was basically doing was warming up to do heavy tricep work. And we used to roll the same way. I would do, uh, and this was from, uh, from um, shoot, again, um, Dave Tate and, and the, uh, the other guy who was out at the West Side who had lost a lot of weight. And it was five boards with a medium close grip. Vinny Tizenzo? No. Um, geez. And he's lost the George Halbert. George oh, Halbert. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you take a grip where your, your index finger or the, the, the width of your thumb would be right where the knurling started. And so you would take it out and you would let the bar drift to your toes until you couldn't hold it anymore, bring it down on the board and drive it straight up. And that was the groove for that exercise. So I would do a week of fives with mini bands as heavy as you go. Do you be touching like low down on your belly? Almost, no, not 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 quite, but right there, because it was just what you were trying to do. As I figured out later, by keeping your elbows tucked, so that your forearms were then perpendicular to the floor, so it was just a lot more triceps. Your your elbows weren't flared. It did take some of the shoulder out of it, which was good, uh, but you could handle a lot of weight. Uh, and so I do five by five with bands for a week. The next week we'd come in and do five by three with the bands, and the week after that would be. Um, you know, probably three or four by threes without the bands. And of course, now you don't have that band tension and you can really, you know, you can rocket it. Uh, so you do three weeks with the bands and then three weeks without? I know I, I do. I would do one week, two weeks with bands and one without. I see. And then I would switch. Then we did band work where we would do, um, I have a few fat bars and I had a guy made some out of just a fence post, a f fence uh, pipe. You know, if you have a chain link fence and we would then do a double purple so you would anchor the purple come up over the bar and you'd have to have the safety pins and it would be about a six inch lockout and it was more wobbly or less stable with no weight on the bar so but you really have to engage your upper back and if you've done any type of band work you know if your upper back and shoulders aren't locked in that that bar just oscillates like crazy right so we were doing the purple you have to get set and you're just trying to send me just getting you want to be in the position and this is something that i learned or doing any type of box pull uh, whether with, with the weights on the box for deadlifting. At that point in the lift, wherever that bar is, you want to set up where you would be in your lift. So I was trying to get my body positioned for, for benching against, say, the purple and other green bands where I would be in that portion of the lift. Now, it's only a six-inch lockout, but still, you don't want to have it up by your face because that's not where you are. I was never a, they used to call it the Texas T, which was uh, elbows are out at 90 degrees from beginning yeah. to end. And then you could get an, an awful lot of tension on that sucker and just strain and strain. Uh, and, and just another adaptation of, of tr trying to add something to the bar besides just plates, which is good for the mind, you know, because then you'd have another record. Say, so, hey, I, right, I do right. You know, in, in, in that kind of, I, I'm sorry, I, I deviated there a little bit. I have a tendency yeah. to do that. I go up on no, a team. I love it. Yeah, for the inclines, but we'll do, uh, we'll use a lot of close grip and it varies. We'll throw it in for our max effort waves every once in a while. But sometimes on our, so we bench. So the end of our week is very different than what it would be for West Side. So we'll do max effort squat and then day two, our bench. And then day three, we'll usually do some like lighter bench reps, speed work type of thing before we pull. Um, Shaka was always a big fan of doing something before you deadlift to tire yourself out a little bit. 
and Vincentello had said the same thing. So just enough people had told me that, so that's why we keep that in. Um, but sometimes instead of doing like really light bench stuff, because most people aren't doing incline with numbers anywhere near what their flat bench is. So we'll bring in that grip, same thing, tuck the elbows hard, and then just like heavy set of five, heavy set of four, heavy set of three throughout the wave just to get some like linear um, progression. Yeah, yeah. Like anybody who gets stuck halfway up on a bench press, like they just don't have that tricep strength to push through. I feel the incline is one of the best exercises that I've, I mean, the bands work great too, but to really help us like push through that sticking point. I, I think that, you know, a raw lifter has to probably um, ex explore different modalities because you don't have the equipment to assist you. Um, you know, so I went with, from there, I ended up being a, uh, my shoulders, I, I didn't like, my, my last bench meet with a uh, polyester shirt, it took three guys 20 minutes to get me into it. Which and shirt was this? That was, that was the extra heavy duty high performance shirt from Inzer. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it, I, I, I don't know exactly, but I kind of know what it feels to be put in a straight jacket. I'm like, oh my God. And I would have to roll it up <laughs> sort of kind of to breathe you know, almost. I mean, up above my pecs, you know, in between attempts. Um, and then from there, they, they, they things changed. Um, I ended up um, going to an open back denim and for me, that was the greatest thing in the world because you could put it on like a, a vest, like boom, boom. It was a Velcro back. And at that point, I could not compete with that in the USAPL. They did not allow it um, for various reasons. They weren't a, a multiply. They weren't a dead and they were an open back. And then, uh, Mod Bell, I got exposure to the um, Katana. And that was a loose back shirt and that thing was phenomenal um you've probably done it or seen guys do it when people get under the dumbbell bench and that's that spot is behind them putting their arms on their tricep to help them i could literally when i took that bar out and lowered it i could feel the tension on the tricep you know like getting ready to just spring me up i'm going that's unbelievable and then there's you know they, they all experiment oh if you twist the sleeve like this there were guys out there who were getting tattoos on their chest to where to pull the shirt for each attempt i'm like out of their mind i said i just pull it down tighter you know it's just cranking the shirt um <clears throat> so the, the, the difference obviously the, the, you know using gear uh beyond the fact that we all know it, it it helps if it didn't help nobody would wear it you know why and this is my gripe with the usapl because i we we have a powerlifting team a club um officially whatever at the high school and my guys were all raw lifters they didn't know we we go down to this meet who what, what are they what are they wearing i have no idea what is this stuff um because i was only a young coach at the time and i went out and i bought knee wraps i used to wrap every kid I couldn't turn a doorknob for days after the two-day meet. My, my fingers were trash. And and then the USAPL says, "Well, you can wear knee sleeves." And we're gonna. And they what, what's this? What, I go. What's this? What's this raw division? I go. It's just. It's just competing. Well, why? And I, I wrote a letter to the national office, and they never answered it. And I said, "Look, a pair of good knee sleeves cost you ninety-five bucks." So you give me ninety-five dollars, I can get two sets of wraps, and I can wrap every kid in my school. Right. Now, the only reason anybody puts something on. Uh, and I'll, I'll do the benefit of the doubt. 49% safety, 51% enhancement of what you're trying to do. Because if it didn't help, you wouldn't wear it. That goes for wrist wraps. That goes for a lifting belt. If it doesn't help you, you wouldn't wear it. You know, But that's okay. 
I mean, I'm not in the game anymore, so it doesn't perhaps bother me as much as it did. And later on, and, and hopefully you'll train this for as long as you want to, you're only competing against yourself anyhow. You know, my days of competing against another guy, you know, when you become a super heavyweight and you become a master's lifter, there are very few, you know, that, that are that are really competing, you know, unless you go to an, a national level event. And um, it, it, so you just compete, just trying to get better. You do it because you enjoy it. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not a anti-raw or, or super pro equipped. I mean, I think it's kind of like boxing. It's nice to watch a middleweights fight, but there's nothing like watching two heavyweights get in the ring and just wallop each other. There's nothing like watching a guy go up on stage in gear and taking out weights that would crush a normal human being. You know, now I also have great appreciation and admiration for people that are just up there and doing that weight and, and look at how it's changed the game. There's so many raw lifters who have surpassed equipped lifting records. <sighs> that people never thought would happen. Just, I think so, part of that too is like raw is so easy to get into. You just got more freaks to get into the, into the sport right. of powerlifting, you know, yeah. I think that's cool. Well, I think that the CrossFit, um, you know, really caused a huge influx of competitors um, into powerlifting because all they had to do was get a bench and learn how to bench. They were all squatting. They were all deadlifting, you know, whether they were letting go of the bar. I mean, how hard is it to teach somebody to hold on to the bar until the referee says down? I mean, it's, you know, they might screw up the first training session, but after you tell them it's not going to count, well, they hold on to the bar, you know? And so, and, and since two-thirds of the, of the meat are predominantly, you know, low back, hip, glute, and quad activated, they're going to be good in squat and deadlifts, you know, uh, compared to, say, bench when, when they're starting, you know, right away. So I used to have a number of geared lifters at the high school. I've got all sorts of stuff. Uh, Leanne Blinn, who's the uh, strength oh, yeah. coach, you know, she gave me stuff. And I had guys wear it, and then I couldn't wait till the end because, you know, I get in trouble these days saying this, but I don't care. I'd say, you know, that's a girl's squat suit. What? What? I go, stop it. It's just a squat suit. There's no gender-specific friggin' equipment, you know? But, you know, high school boys, how fragile their egos are. But she was very good. She was very good to me um, with that. And she would she trained at, at, at my school uh, a number of times. Um, and, uh, you know, I always had great insight. I, with some of my, I had a lifters in there on a Sunday when we would do – that was our dynamic day. And I said, you got to help me out with this kid. Hey, I, I can't figure it out, Leanne. He's, he's getting under the bar, and he's always – no matter what it is, it's, it's 135, and he was a – uh, a, a low 500 pound squatter. I said, even from, from 135 up to whatever, he's tilting. She looks at him, she goes, yeah, his obliques are weak. And I'm like, duh, why couldn't I figure that out? You know, I mean, it, it, as soon as she says it, now it becomes obvious, you know, and that was just because of her experience. And I had never experienced that myself personally. I go, that makes perfectly good sense. You know, why, so, why you need other lifters and other coaches around, right? That's, you that's, get those that's different right. perspectives, different set of eyes. Yep. On the yeah. thing that like, the thing with raw lifting, like, it's great because it gets everybody into the sport, right? But, like, when you go to raw nationals, you know damn well who's going to win. But, like, with the with the equipped guys, like, not only are they lifting, like, the larger weights, but, like, you don't know who's going to bomb out or, like, something's going to go awry and then all of a sudden it opens the door for somebody. Like, you just don't – it's just more exciting to watch. And as a lifter, it feels more like a sport. Like, there are adjustments in you. You know, in my last meet, I actually missed a warm-up in the back room and, like, had to regroup, like fix my shirt a little bit, like do a couple of things where like it actually felt like a real sport, making adjustments. Um, I don't know. Like, like me personally, I just want to lift more weight too. So like I'd rather just wear well, that, it than not. That's 
that's the object of the sport. Now it's it's a personal choice. I, I had my own thing when 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 Raw Nationals first came out, and even records. I go uh, to this, the guy kid Ed Manelli, who Eddie lifted for me. He's a uh, I know who he is. Okay, and I said, you know, Ed, they shouldn't have records for four years. I said because you step on stage, you're the only guy in the 181s, and you've got a national record. I mean, what what does it mean? You're the only guy that showed up that day, and I'm again, I'm I'm from a different era. Uh, I'm I'm from I'm not even sure what we called it. It, it. Back when you lifted, the weight started at at whatever was the opening weight on the squat. Let's just say it was 135, and it wasn't everybody take their first. It went 135. If that person didn't have anybody else, oh, yeah, it went up 10 that. pounds. Oh, the meets went on forever. And you'd be sitting there and you talk about, you know, trying to time your attempts now, like raw is faster. Say, okay, there's usually there's 20 minutes between the attempts. And, and sometimes you go to a wrong meet. It might be, depending upon who's doing your setup and who your load is and spotted, it might be 10 minutes between attempts. Um, and so I say, Ed, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Now we've gone, we've got records. And it's like you said, that every knows who's going to win. That guy shows up and you just know, cause you've seen his name and he's going to crush people. Um, but you go to, I know that Joe, you know, has been to meets where, you know, he didn't fare well and he probably would have won at the national level. And then he got on the national team one year because somebody else couldn't go. And I, I don't understand that sometimes how they don't pick just their best lifters and they're limited to whatever to go to the world. Yeah, that part doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of, I was reading something and, and this stuff that, that really bothers me. Eric, you know Eric Cordero? Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's been posting some things on, and I love Eric. I mean, he was, uh, he's our state um uh, USAPL state representative. He he runs a couple of meets, but he's in charge of, uh, I believe, the records and whatnot at the high school level and so forth. Well, he's been publishing this stuff about, it's basically, you can't train with a lifter that's either tested positive or competes in a non-tested organization. And I'm like, this is the United States of America. And, and Eric's a history guy. He teaches history. I'm like, I, I know that Leanne and I, I, I went up and, and trained uh, with Bill Crawford. He did a, a seminar up in New Hampshire. The strong man guy. Uh, no, he's up. Hey, and um, in Sebastian Burns, we're out of uh, like a Buffalo, New York. And they were the metal militia guys. Oh yeah. Okay. And this stuff I've... you can find online. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the bench workouts they used to do were insane. They were a whole, and Zala did it for a while, and I tried. I said, I just can't do this. They were a drop it low onto the, the belly and throw it back up and flare the elbows and catch. And I'm like. And tuck in the but, chin, too, right? Like the head up yeah, off the bench. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, your feet are up, you're, you're staring, you're doing all sorts of stuff. And maybe, you know, who am I? You know, that just, it just didn't for me. It wasn't, you know, working. So I I, I even bought this, their different bench shirt with seven different, you know, friggin' measurements and all that kind of jazz and it just wasn't fit but that day he did increase my max 15 pounds i said i've never benched that before and he goes well then it worked i said yeah but to, to tell to tell somebody i can't train with someone who has knowledge because they choose to do something else i'm not i've lifted in almost and when i was again didn't sound like the old guy i lifted in almost every organization there was i didn't lift in the ipf right i lifted in the you know, APA, Scott Taylor out of Vermont. Now I think he's based out of Florida. Back then it was the ADFPA. There was an AAPL that was based out of Long Island. The WNPF guy, Troy Ford, he's in Atlanta. They used to come up as high as Connecticut. Um, 
I did a couple of, you know, non-sanctioned meets, uh, one down in Providence, Rhode Island, where <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. That was, I think, my third meet. So I'm just down on the bench. It was a YMCA. And um, the guy who was a super heavyweight. And at that time, I was probably in either the 42s or the 75s. I haven't quite discovered the uh, great love of food that I later on did. And he blows his pack on his third attempt. And he gets they get him ice. And so they're going right to the trophy things. And well, they didn't have trophies, they had medals. But the medals were about the size of a quarter. So he was the only guy in his weight class. He's the last guy in his award. They give it to him. He looks at the medal. He looks at his peck. He looks at the medal. He looks at his peck. He just dropped the medal and walked off this podium. And he's like, for this. And then now, if, if the only reason you're competing is to get that little trophy, I'll give you the 12 bucks, get down to trophy awards and, and they'll make one up for you. But he was just PO because of all the effort that he had put into training and, and, and this, and he had this happen. Well, that's, that's part of the game. You know, you, you don't, you don't want, I don't want to see anybody get injured, but the, uh, the closer you get to the edge, the harder you push, that's always going to be a, a, a possibility. And that's uh, the thing. If you're so worried about the outcomes, right. You're so focused on the numbers, worried about winning the trophies it's going to be a lot harder when those things happen to be able to deal with that adversity and overcome those things. And you're just not going to last. This sport is built off of failure. Like what I tell, one of the things I tell all my lifters is this sport's not about hitting PRs. It's about stacking the deck in your favor to give yourself an opportunity to actually attempt a PR. And even if you miss it, you need to be grateful that you've done everything in your power that you thought that that was there today. And the more opportunities you give yourself by stacking the deck in your favor, the more PRs you're going to hit over time but ironically if you're just focused on those numbers you're going to fade out really quick oh yeah without question because you just you know you can't keep up and and how are you going to deal with that failure that's a huge part of it and and you know i had been accused at times of being too uh you know not being aggressive enough because i knew what my numbers were i knew what the numbers that i wanted to hit and it's funny joe cap and when i I had uh, you know, I wanted to get back and I wanted to compete with the USAPL because they were starting to have more meets. Because Eric had asked me, he goes, how come you and Galanti don't, and I was, I guess part of me should have been offended, but I really wasn't because I understood where he was coming from. He goes, how come you guys don't compete in the USAPL? He goes, is it meets? Is it drugs? And, and I said, well, Eric, there are two meets a year. There's one in November, I'm coaching football, and there's one in the spring and it just doesn't, you know, just doesn't wind up with with what I'm doing. I said all these other meets, all these other organizations, and I said, and also it's the equipment. At the time, I was just in wearing the uh, the open back denim, and then I ended up getting the the katana, and so I wanted to get back in. I did that, and then I get get a couple of wad wad limits, right? The World Association of Bench and Deadlifters with <laughs> Gus Reinschwitz was the president, the guy who played in, in the movie with Arnold. I, I did, did a meet up in, uh, in 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 uh, Vermont, and it, it was really funny because. I told Joe Cap, I said, Joe, I said, this is what I'm doing. I'm, you know, he'd been around training and so forth. I said, I'm going to open with this and go to that and go to that in my third. And, and I hit all, hit all of them. The last one was you know, a little bit of it was a strain to it. But he goes, wow, you were right. And I had been out of training and out of competing for a while. I said, yeah. I said, well, you should know. I said, in my estimation, at worst, what your friggin' opener is going to be and then you're going to get it. And then you're second. And then from there, you can decide. I said, no, that's just me. You know, some guys are real uh, aggressive. So let me ask you a question. If you train all that time and you don't know 
Are you just pissing into the wind? I'm going to open a 500. Then I'm going to go to, I don't know, I'll see how I feel. What do you mean? It'll give me a range. You're going to go 530, 520, 550. You know, and, and again, it just because we're dealing with some of the young men that I, that I train, they want to be super aggressive. Well, I know I can do this. Well, how do you know? Right. Well, three attempts. Let's get in, let's get in the meat and 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 go. Um, you know, to to speak of of guys going and and, and training really hard, and this is kind of morbid. Um, I, I know that when you talk to to Zawa, uh, we talked about Saul Socket many years ago. Saul Socket, Eric Kupperstein, uh guy Eric Arnold, and a guy the late Bob Dempsey. Um, Eric Arnold was a national level competitor. Uh, Bob Dempsey was a national level competitor. He had been a, um, I'll be politically corrected, he was a assisted, but not with equipment that you wearing your body uh, lifter, but he went the, 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 the proper, I think it was three years you have to be tested and be fine. He actually died on the platform um, in between lifts. He was waiting to lift and apparently was tingling and he went down and there's a whole story that you can research where they had to cut down plywood door openings to get him and unfortunately he passed. And, you know, that's the, didn't happen right then from lifting, but who knows if the stress on the body, I know they had a bunch of, and I really shouldn't speak to, because I'm not a medical doctor, lymph nodes that were removed, but, you know, they were just, they would go on Saturdays and they would lift like all day. They were old school. They would go in there and squat and deadlift for hours. And a lot of that was, was driven by, by Saul. Um, and like I said that Eric was a national, you know, Eric Kupperstein has been a national, you look at him, he looks like a, a young guy. Um, and Eric is more, um, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, a lawyer. He's more reserved. You talk to him, you would never know. And that's what it is like in all sports, right? You, you look at the, the guys with perhaps slighter build that you don't think it's something you would see on TV, but when they're on the platform and even in training, they're focused and they're focused to the max because you have to be you know, to compete in that upper, you know, 1% of, of the population where you're competing. And you've got to bring some of that to training. I know that, uh, you know, as you said, you know, if you lift it, you'll leave something in the tank. Absolutely. But I bet if you had a lifter who was going to be working that day at, say, even just 80%, if they're not focused, they're not going to get that lift. Are they going to be sloppy with it, you know? And that's no, that's no way to get better. You know, no, we actually have uh, – so when that happens – like we have these like rules. If you can't, you know, take three to five minutes, get your head into it. If you can, it's not even worth it. Like just hit some bodybuilding stuff, go home, regroup, come back, do it again the next day. Yeah. Um, in terms of like attempts too, I think what you end up seeing is, cause it's not just the young kids. I think you get these lifters who, so like we know what, I literally had a lifter sign up for a meet in under two weeks. The meet was literally like 10 days away. She's like, Hey, can I do this meet? I'm like, yup. We sat there, we talked about, I knew what number she could hit because we max out all the time. Like I'm a hundred percent confident of what was there. So we put it on paper. She goes eight for nine. It's a total PR, all of those. Things. But I think what you see in, in training a lot is everybody's trying to be more cute with it. So it's all the, it's percentages and RPEs and all of this stuff, but they end up wanting to chase numbers on the platform. So they work backwards. They pick a third attempt that they think they can hit. And then they work backwards from there for an opener. And it's like you got this magic number and all of a sudden your opener gets a little bit too high instead of being like, hey, this is what's going to get us into the meet because I know you can hit this under any condition. Second attempt, hard but doable that lets us know what's there for a third attempt. So like even for us, 
rare somebody misses a second attempt. Because we do this literally two sometimes, because we even max out deadlifts in the same week as squats sometimes. And we literally do the same thing. We have three attempts that kind of work us into, the, into those top singles. Like, I, I think it's a, a training thing. I don't understand where, and I wonder if you can shed light on this a little bit, because like Westside at one point was just like all the information that was out there. And then all of a sudden there was this like changing of the tide that now like your USAPL, you know, for lack of a better word, the circle jerk of the USAPL thinks like Westside sucks. And I'm not sure where that came from, where that transition was culturally. And uh, I'm wondering if you have any uh, guesses on that. Well, my, my first inclination when that happened was this is they look at them and say, all oh, you guys do drugs. That's why you are successful. And Louis had a great quote. He goes, I got a bench shirt and a bottle of test on a chair in my gym. It's never lifted anything. The, the, the big thing with gear is you have to learn how to use it. Uh, a great analogy is uh, if you drive a Prius and you're going down the Jamaica way, which is very curvy, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, you're not going to go there in a Ferrari the next day because you're going to die. You know, and so learning how to use the gear correctly, um, you know, and, 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 and whether, it, whether it's in your training. And that's the thing is when when, when I first started uh, and, and was following some of Westside's principles, they never put the bench shirt on to like the day of the meet. Then later on, you know, Mark Bell and, and even Westside. And there's a, there's a little sub group at Westside um, who would do stuff that they got from Bill Crawford and Sebastian Burns because there was more volume because they were wearing equipment. And it stands to reason. I mean, you know, Zawa, Joe Cap, they're all putting equipment on and Luis and all those guys at some point. They're not wearing it everything, but it's whether it's they start at nine weeks out and they wear it week nine and then they put it back on in week six in the last two weeks or, or whatever their method is. But I think people just looked at it. And if you look at some of the guys who were training at Westside, they looked a little bit different than your local, you know, guy that works at uh, Home Depot, you know. And so people thought that that was the only way that you could get strong is you had to do drugs, um, which is totally not wrong. I mean, like I said, Joe Cap squat over a thousand pounds and he's drug free. And I would put my hand on the Bible and, and swear to that. I've known him for a number of years uh, and seen what he's had to do to, to get to that level. Um, and in Zawa the same way. Uh, it's funny when, when you're young and somebody accuses you, you know, you might go, oh, wow, that's great. They think that, you know, but then you stop and go, wait a minute, now. he thinks I have to, and the word often used is cheat to get to that. And then maybe you think a different way. Well, in the, and I've competed in the, uh, the, the APF, okay, which is where a lot of those guys all had competed. They don't, they, they've got a tested division and a non-tested division. So if I compete because the APF was having, you know, I did the Masters National up in Maine, I'm going to enter the tested division. You got to pay an extra 50 bucks because they're going to take your urine or whatever. That's, that's your choice. Um, so I think that's, that's where it happened. And people are just so used to um, what they've done for years, whether it was just a linear progression. I mean, shoot, to this day, if you walk into a lot of phys ed places or any gym, they start, it's three sets of 10. And it's that we used to call it a sliding set. So if you can do three sets of 10 at 100 pounds, the next week it's going to be 100, 100, and then 105 on set three. 
And until you can do that for 10 reps, you're not going to move the second set. Well, shoot, that works right away because you're dealing with a low number, but at some point in time, it's just not. You better, you better find something different. For me, what I really ended up loving about Westside was the changing of the exercises that allowed me to continue to train and compete. Um, as every lifter, you've got certain things. My elbows would scream. I was that dummy that would go down in my basement and do 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, 2, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10. I mean, really? You know, I mean, and, and you, you, would, you would just, again, I was unknowledgeable. Uh, but I, I do think that, that people, this jealousy and the, the, the drug use, um, you know, is, is part of the, 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 the perception that that's the only reason. But all of that stuff that Louis had translated from Russian documents and books, it's all science-based. And that's why it works, because science works. It's fun. Like, when I, uh, when I worked with Shaco, my elbows would kill me all the fucking time. Like, it was the one thing. Like, he was very good at manipulating the intensity to allow me to be able to train consistently and progress and all of that. Yeah, so he came up here. The second time he came here to Boston, he went to Westside first. He made a really good point. So, like, with Shaco, technique first. So he picks his intensities, his sets, his reps, like all of those numbers based off, basically he wants every repetition to look the same. Now there's 60% variation in there, but it's very, you're in your comp stance, comp bar placement, all of those things. And it's just, it's all that like principle of dynamic organization where the body's always looking for a more efficient way to move. We're going to find it. We're going to test. We're going to realize it. And he said, Louis' thing, his first priority. So Shaco's first priority was technique where Louis was strength first. And he, he's like, he, you know, so basically he was talking about like the Russian system. He's like, you got to basically remember, like these kids start from a young age working up into this. So Louis getting them and they're already technically efficient and they're coming from a bunch of different schools. Right. So like, right. Basically when, you know, for the situation that he's in, that probably makes the most sense for, for those things. And it was a, I just found it to be like, refreshing and also is like one of those moments when even though they do things completely opposite of one another what it seems like on paper they have this like mutual respect and understanding and they just want to talk to each other about the differences and and all of those things and like for us we made more of a switch so shaka we would test about 17 to 21 days out and i would have my lifters do the same thing and now this is the first time that they were touching 90 percent or above for the most part we might have hit some singles at 90 but they would just freak the fuck out. So, like, psychologically, they just weren't ready to lift those bigger weights. Um, so the only way I figured that we could fix that was lifting heavier more often. And it's definitely worked out better that way for, for us. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there are, people use different terms, you know, time under tension or time under the bar. But putting, like, with, with the young guys... Uh, who have never, you know, squatted until they came to me as either freshman or whatnot, I will do heavy walkouts, like three weeks, you know, say, okay, hey, what'd you do this week for your set of triple? Okay, I want you to put 40 pounds more on the bar. All I always want you to do is unrock the bar and stand there for 15 or 20 seconds. So I'm getting their body and their mind somewhat ready for a weight that 
they may or may not do, you know, and, and uh, the, the thing with, you know, with Louie and Shaco, with Louie, and, and if you, you if you talk to people like Dave, Louie's a, a great programmer and, 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 and you know, of, of, the, of, of systems that should be used, but Dave Tate will tell you that, you know, hey, Chuck Vogelpool taught me how to squat. Louie didn't teach me how to squat, you know, so that the, all the resources of the guys there are working the technique. Where Louis, like you said, is more interested in. We're just going to get cock strong here, man, and, and we'll just be able to destroy anybody. So if you're even off by a quarter of an inch, you're still going to be able to power through it with Shake will be. But no, you want to be here exactly, be more, as you said, efficient, or as some people say, easy. It's not necessarily easy for the body, but you're more efficient, and now you can complete that lift. Um, and and, and it's, as people might see, uh, seem to people, that they're far apart, they're really not that far apart. You know, they just have, you know, their ideologies on how to get going are, are, are a little bit different. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Like with the very with the variations and with the, right. like a lot of their things are very, very similar. So like actually, Louis after that is when he started doing way more deadlift volume to match what Shaco was doing with the deadlift volume. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was the big knock at Westside for a long time. They didn't have these, you know, great deadlifters. Now, you know, there's a lot to deadlift, you know, you know, body structure. What are you doing? I mean, I love sometimes, and I haven't been on, that was a, was a uh, I even forget the website, Powerlifting Watch, I think. And, and you know, watching or listening or reading powerlifters piss on each other. Oh, conventional is cheating or, or sumo is cheating. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? And it's like, look, at, we're all trying to get to Chicago. What's the best way? You take a bus, take a plane, take a train. You got to find the best way for you because not everybody built the same. You know, not everybody has the same leverage. You, you, you might have two guys that are five foot eight, but one guy has the arm length of a six foot three guy. Right. Well, shoot, he's going to be a better deadlifter at, at, at just structurally. Now, of course, muscle has a lot to do with that insertion and, and all the, you know, that type of stuff, which I, you know, anat anatomically, you know, I, I couldn't even touch. And, and I think that science has obviously helped because, you know, and I know that Mike talked to you about this and we touched a little bit on it, the percentage and, and, and the reasons why I don't do it with high school kids um, because of you don't know what their max is. But for a, a multi-year planning I think it's very advantageous because I'm not exactly sure what is worse. That individual who is always training above really, really should be, or the one who is just really training way below. I think neither one of them. One is going to maybe get to the meet and, and, and finish, but with, you know, what's the total? It's it's poop. I, I, I bust my guys chops sometimes. Hey, I went nine for nine. I go, you know what that means? You didn't try hard enough. You know, just, and they just, they laugh. They, laugh. they, they know what I'm saying, you know? And I'm proud of them when I go, especially if they strain. And I think as a coach, and you know, what you, what you do is, is, is one of the best things is watching your lifters and seeing, really, is this a day for them to be doing that? They just don't look like they're ready to do that. So I'm going to back them off. Anybody can throw up sets and reps. You can go online and get the wood of the day, right? Is that, is that what they thought with CrossFit? You can do that with powerlifting. But if your lifter isn't ready, you know, or if they, hey, geez, they, what, what's wrong with you today? You might have to go to chiropractic. You're under that bar and you tilt it over here. And, you know, are you just not, you got to be able to, as a coach, see those things uh, to help them along. Or they're going to get frustrated. You know? Right. I think a lot of our sport has kind of gone in that direction, right? Where it's become, coaching's become sets and reps on an Excel spreadsheet. 
Um, there's a, uh, you'll like this. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, the Bill Belichick, Nick Saban documentary. I think it was on HBO. I did not see it. <laughs> I saw I saw snippets, but not the whole thing. It's absolutely fantastic. Because like these guys just sit there and basically talk about like coaching and football for two hours. And Bill Belichick's telling this story. He's saying what, he's getting on the plane after a loss. And he walks on there and everybody's got their heads in their computers typing away. And at, from the front of the plane, he goes, guys, the answer to why we lost isn't in those computers. It's because we couldn't tackle. And he walked to the back of the plane. He was just talking about how young coaches get to these higher levels because they get really good at data, but they've lost the ability to teach the fundamentals. And I actually think we see that a lot in this sport where we get into this where it's like almost like technique doesn't matter. It's more important the sets and reps that you're putting on the sheet of paper. And it just becomes when things don't work, more sets and reps and you just keep throwing more and more at these lifters and none of them are you're a hundred percent correct you know and, and it's it's a shame because especially if uh and no disrespect to those people out there if you're taking money for somebody and you're just spewing out this stuff now i've got all my workouts and I deleted four years worth. So I have the last three years of the football guys and I'll look at it and just, and you can see how I've, every year it's different. And even if it's like, well, with the calendar runs, you know, you're white one week ahead and one week behind. And for me, I just like, I say, Hey, where were we? Why were we doing this? But I have to, I, I generate a new one because a lot of it's based on who I have in the program. I've got new guys every year. There's a, freshman or a sophomore who's coming to the program if they power lift i have i actually i don't train them if this is going to sound silly as, as power lifts. it's like when we do our strength test at, at Severian, we squat we bench we deadlift and we power clean so that's the added the added one this year they had to you know without and i all oh, because i have the assistant coaches will come and help I, and i i bought beepers years ago and i put tape on them so they have to be below power i, I tell them they must below parallel and they all I don't, I don't spring it on on the day of the strength test they knew it from when we started and you go to colleges now and, and i'm talking football specifically but a lot of the strength coaches are not requiring their athletes to even get to parallel now if we just talk about that from a physiological standpoint there's little glute and little hamstring development now that you will get from a below parallel squat. Now they want to be safe with their athletes. There is some literature that a quarter squat you know, is adapted more now for football or even volleyball, basketball, but I want my bang for the buck. I'm also looking to see strain, you know, on a young man. And I just know physically development, he's getting more out of that. I, uh, I actually interned at Harvard and I think a lot of the, the struggle with that, so most of those squats were high. But what was cool is they actually set it up. So like the four biggest squats would squat and squat rack one. So like everybody's competing against each other. Right, right. Um, right. But you get these incoming freshmen who they've never fucking lifted weights before. And you're understaffed and there's no way your team can up squat. is kind of like doing the best that you can. Uh, you know, so I think some of that, like having a high school coach, making sure that they're squatting in depth, their technique's good and all that stuff. Like that's setting them up for future success moving forward. The only thing I'll say about like the high squats, so when some of those linemen are squatting over 700 pounds and everybody's around them cheering, like there's camaraderie and confidence and team building and stuff that's happening. But like there were times where it's like, I got to look the other way because I'm afraid one of these kids is going to fucking kill themselves. Absolutely. Without question. I mean, and I, I've told, 
our guys, you know, and, and, and you know, when I talk about, I want them to train with us rather than to, to go off site and some of them because of travel or they've been training with the trainer for a while. And I tell them, look at same as with lifting. I would rather you squat 10 or 20 pounds less doing it the right way than having that 20 or 30 pounds added the wrong way. Because you know what, when I test you again in the spring, you just, it's, it, you're going to be higher and higher and higher because you're not training correctly. I mean, when, when you, when you, when you have your athletes, you know, if they're benching, I'm sure a lot of their training is touch and go, but it's not a bounce and go. They're not going to break their sternum. You know, I'm not sure how much pausing you do within the training. I, I know when I train and again, I didn't know what raw was for me. I knew I could always, um, I could always pause 15 pounds more than my best touch and go in the gym when I first started. And that just was how it was for me. That's not for everybody because I was a fairly strict. I didn't, you know, sink the bar in and throw up and I didn't bounce it. And I think we very touch. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, but that's important because things will get away from people really fast, you know, because they want to throw them away. And again, with, with males, it's that whole testosterone-driven thing because they, they, they don't want to be embarrassed. Um, and now with more females getting into it, they're very competitive. And now I don't have females. I trained one female. She went to a, uh, a school, Ursuline Academy, which is in, in, in Dedham. And she was a track athlete. And I saw her on the track, and I, I grabbed our track coach because they were running. And I go, make her a state champion in three weeks. She had such hamstring drive. She was an all-scholastic runner in the 200 and the 400. It's easy to make fast people strong. They got the muscle fibers, you know what I mean? A lot, a lot easier than getting that, you know, that tree pusher. And she lifted, and I had to do an old thing with her that I'd done with some of my lifters. Uh, she was lifting in a, in a very competitive weight class, and she kind of poo-pooed on the bench. So I was coming to a deadlift, and I think she was, you know, going to be pulling, and she was light. She was she was like 118 pounds. And so I lied to her. I said, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's 315 on the bar. There wasn't. There was 330. She friggin' pulled it because she would not let go. Now, it would have been, you know, egg on my face if she had not got it. And then I told her, well, I overloaded the bar 15 pounds more than what you thought because she would have been very upset with me. But she got it, and she won. And I go, and that's why I'm the coach, and you're the lifter. <laughs> Thank God it worked, you know. And I, and I know it doesn't sound like a lot. It's only 15 pounds. But for somebody of that body weight, that was a pretty good pull, you know. And, and, that is a very good pull. And, and just the fact that she strained and she was, she just had that. And she was lifting with the boys, you know, in her own rack, but around the boys uh, at night sometimes she'd come in. Um, but you better be, you know, if, you, if you're not doing things the right way, you're not going to get the results later on down the road. That's the thing, and that's what everybody misses. They miss that bigger picture. It's, you know, like you were talking about the elbow flare, and I, I wrote an article earlier today about, like, technique and seeing the bigger picture. And sometimes it's better to take less weight now and really drill a position. But, like, yeah, you might bench more now, but if you're, you know, if you're a 200-pound male and you're benching 400 pounds, who gives a fuck? There's hundreds of you that do, probably thousands that bench 400 pounds like that. Like, if you're in it to be competitive in this sport, Bench a little bit less right now. Like, bring the hands in. Let's really hammer the triceps, and let's start like building up a bench to bench 500 raw and 600 raw. Like, you know, yeah. shoot for the moon, not the top of the mountain. Right, right. Shoot the bench. It's triceps first. You know, argument can be back slash shoulders. It's really not pecs. It well, excuse me, in equipped lifting, in equipped lifting, because you're getting that last 
I don't know, it's anywhere from two to four inches, depending upon how tight the shirt is. That's, you know, you're getting that blast off from there and you've got to push through it. And the only way it can equate that is, is if you're using chains or bands, you know, you always say outrun the chains because if you don't, you're going to stop halfway through. Um, and I know that sometimes people don't, don't get that, you know, well, what do they fall? Why don't you just put another 40 pounds in the bar? And then, so you go out and give your best dis dissertation on you know you know what you're doing in strength curve and, and, and whatnot but you're right people people want i think it's indicative unfortunately of our society they want results yesterday you know those guys you watch lifted oh, pick any sport they weren't like that yesterday it took them a long time to get to where they're going you know be patient you'll get there i use this analogy all the time like i started playing soccer at five years old you know so if i have a lifter that's five years into it i'm like you were me playing soccer at 10 years old I wasn't ready to be playing with the big boys yet. Like you need to put your time in. You need to do these things. Right. Um, but it's hard because it's like the one sport that you can literally be sharing a platform with a world champion and can be your first meet, which is the coolest thing about powerlifting. But at the same time, it's also one of those things that's like, you know, it can tug on some some of those insecurities sometimes for some people. I was fortunate, well, I guess was fortunate, um, way back when the US, uh, USPF was the, the driving force in power in the country, and they used to have regionals. And you do the regionals, and they had, you know, one, two, three, four, five, I think it's six, all broken down geographically. And I had to go down to, um, to Hartford, I believe, Connecticut. And uh, I was, I believe, in the 220s, because I know that Eric Arnold was there. Well, I finished 15th out of 12, as I tell people. I, <laughs> I just, it, was, it was a great experience. But I'm like, whoa! I know who that guy is because you'd see their name up on 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 the screen and say, oh wow, this this guy was national champion. So I, I use that more as a learning experience. And, and I, I I had no delusions of going down there and winning. I would would have hoped that I would have done better than I did. And I I think I was seven or eight for nine as well, you know, on that day. And, and they were right where I should have been as far as by training, but I just was not in that league. And so what did I expect? Oh, I didn't really expect anything, you know, in, in the long run. Um, but it, it's, I understood this, that's just a one step in that journey. Uh, you know, and, and if you want to be competitive, if you're doing it just because you like to hang out with your friends, okay, well, that that's, that's not my cup of tea, but that that's all right, whatever. But if you want to be competitive, it's a, long time thing and i tell people all the time you know they do have a grandmaster division that starts at 70 so i might not live that long but you know maybe i can get healthy and compete in a couple of decades yeah oh yeah um all right so i want to be conscious of your time here we're going on almost an hour and a half um do you share much on uh social media or like um what i what i do mostly is is I have this, uh, it's, it's all um, Zavarian football, XPHS football. It's, it's football related stuff, some speed training. When our guys lift, I'll, I'll put it up more as a motivation. And I, I, what I really did was to try and make sure they were lifting. Hey guys, you know, send me a picture of your workout, especially when they're all um, at home due to the coronavirus. And so, you know, I see a guy, he's got those old cement, dumbbells and he's you know doing best as long as they're doing something we're fortunate now we're we're actually back in our weight room um i'm limited to uh, 23 boys in the room but that that's mostly where, where i put stuff out on um i'm on twitter i'm on instagram um there are actually two twitter accounts one is i think strength training the other one is just Zavarian football um so I, I mostly do that all right awesome um I appreciate you coming on, spending the time, shooting the shit. It's always, uh, 
it's always fun to talk to people who've been in the sport a very long time. Well, I appreciate that, and, and, and thank you very much. I, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, guys, you can follow me on Instagram. It's KWK and our team, Precision Powerlifting Systems. Stay strong, Boston. <laughs>